Brother Randy. All right, you ready for this? Okay, so uh, I said, you know, we need to start setting up worship a little bit more because there's, you know, worship so difficult. Some people, a hymn book, if you're not singing out of a hymn book, it's challenging. And for other people, if you're not, you know, wiggling a little bit, then you're not really worshiping. So um, this last week I, had, I was watching the Packer game, you know, for you Wisconsin folks. And uh, this is what I observed uh, as I was watching, and I said, you know, these are the ultimate cheeseheads, right? So it's cold, it's the frozen tundra, it's all that. I, these people are going crazy in frigid, cold, extreme conditions about what? About a pigskin being, you know, moved up and down a hundred-yard uh, field. And I'm a big football fan, but relative to what we're doing here today, I mean, that's nothing. And then I looked at the next uh, little group, and here we have another, uh, uh, I don't know if that's a cheesehead or what, and, and these guys were f absolutely going crazy. They had no, they had no inhibitions about, whatsoever about, well, painting a, a helmet on his head. In the day. And then finally, and that, this is maybe one of the greatest ones I've ever seen in my life, it's, it's got grass on the top, frozen tundra. This is an entire outfit down to the very shoes, and they'd show this guy. And, and, uh, and I said, look, if they can get that fired up about a football game, how can we not, more than I think about what we are ostensibly are claiming to be here for. We're worshiping the creator of all things, not a pigskin being toted up and down a field. We're thinking about and pondering and learning some things about, well, what God said about you and me and then others around us. Are you ready for this? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for our friends. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to speak to us today, me too, me included. Uh, just give us a glimpse of who you are. It'll change the course, the direction of our, not only of our day, but of our life. We believe that. You're the creator of all things. You can recreate us. Might come out, might have come in with a bad attitude this morning, might come in with, uh, Lord, but we trust you. You are the creator of all things. Restore our souls with your word today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, you ready to roll on this? So, so we're going to finish up this kind of, it ended up being a three-part series, uh, the Transfiguration, we've been talking about the last few weeks, and then uh, the Three Tabernacles, And uh, but before we do, I want to try to expound on something that I think is true in our nature. I think there is a narrative that's so deeply embedded in who we are as people that storylines pick it up. Modern media, certainly biblical storyline, the ultimate would be Jesus' life himself, but it is a sacrificial life lived out for others and not just for others. Now, don't, don't lose me here. But for others who often misunderstand, who may fear you, and maybe even hate you. It's one thing to go out and sacrifice knowing that if you can live through it, there's going to be a lot of people applaud you. I think of uh, like uh, a lot of these, well, S Superman and all these different kind of superheroes that fill our theaters, as I alluded to a week or two ago. Uh, Marvel Studios, you know, and all these different... And the billions of dollars that pour in so that people can see somebody with kind of superpowers. And, and, but it's always in the context of the good guys, the bad guys, some terroristic plot, some something. And they are doing it. Not only are they 
laying, potentially laying down their lives for the, the human race, the human race then fears, misunderstands, etc. In some reason, that even draws us into the story more, and we're drawn to love them, to to, to, to want them to, you know, because they're, nobody gets it. They're, it's like this uh, clandestine little meeting that they're having to save the world, and, and the world hates them. It sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? I think of Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible series. You know, it's the, it's the great IMF, this, uh, this little secretive part, um, addendum in some ways to the CIA, those separate and they go out, and Tom Cruise is jumping off cliffs and uh, from train to train and, and high raises and being shot at 10,000 times and never dies. And they're, little, they're a little group of people, and it always comes down to the last second before the world's going to blow up in a nuclear holocaust or something. And yet they are often disavowed. They, they, you know, I, there's one called the Rogue Nation. They were doing all this, even being disavowed by their own government. That's the story of Jesus. The reason that narrative plays in our soul is our soul is crying out for that to be real, for somebody to be doing that in real terms. Now, I'm not suggesting people haven't lived sacrificial lives. Some of you in here are veterans of war and laid down your life for your country or other things. But this is even a deeper narrative, so driven into our soul, and it's the very narrative. And I'm not just going to say the New Testament we're going to see this morning, of the entire Bible, grace and mercy and truth on behalf of a people who are perverse and not even believing. Are you ready for this? It's going to be fun. We're actually going to finish because we finished in first service, and we are going to do our best to finish. We will finish. All right, you ready? So it's been my experience that people, again, just talking on the last two weeks, you want a mountaintop experience. You need a mountaintop experience, don't you? You absolutely, if, you, if you're trying to live your Christian life out of obligation, it will not last. Of course, we're obligated to our Creator, but to live any relationship out, out of obligation fails the test. You need a level of intimacy. If you were to have, do you ever invite friends who are together in their marriage just because they're obligated to go with you on vacation. Isn't that a wonderful time, you know? They just feel obligated to be there, and they don't. there's no love, there's no intimacy, there's no relationships there, and, you, you know, you just don't want that. Your children don't want that, your grandchildren. They want to see a thriving relationship, and it's the same because the Bible does use those exact, that exact metaphor. It's Christ, the groom, and his church, the bride. There's an intimacy there. There's there's more than obligation. There has been consummation. And consummation ultimately with God is where God actually, uh, he, he breathes life into you. The Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you. That's true Christianity. It's akin to a sexual act. It really is. It's the, the very spermata of God comes and indwells you, impregnates you. And then, then that's a whole different, whole different story. Most people love the mountaintop, and you should. I love the mountaintop. But I've also seen people that have chosen to try to stay on the mountaintop. Anything that's exotic, anything that's the newest conference, the newest uh, big, big preacher, somebody, somebody, just something, uh, entertainment, whatever it is, they just have to stay. They cannot come down from the mountain. And the whole point here, as we're about to see in Luke chapter 9, and I believe starting in verse 37, and then they came down from the mountain. And here's the point. 
God is calling you to come down from the mountain. He's calling you to the mountain on a regular, routine basis, both in your prayer life and in, on days like today where we come up and we can sing and we can wiggle around a little bit if you were so inclined on that second song. I mean, whatever it is, you just, you know, now we're actually focused on something worthy of focus on a day like today. Maybe you'll have a mountaintop experience this morning, but I will tell you, you will hit that door and you must now come down off the mountain. Why? Because there is a valley in desperate need of you. awesome to be on a mountaintop, but you cannot stay there, not in this life. We will have a mountaintop forever, and we will have all of eternity to be on a mountaintop. But for now, we're called back into the valley. Luke chapter 9, verse 37 simply says, and on the next day when they came down from the mountain, when they came down from the mountain, Peter, James, and John had gone up as Jesus had asked them to do. They saw him transfigured before them. He, glor he was glorified by the Father. A voice came out, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Their lives were forever changed. I told you last week, I believe very much that those, those kinds of things, just that encounter led to, you know, James would have been the first to be martyred and John would have lived the longest bookends, if you'll remember. They needed that experience. Peter needed that experience to write what he wrote about the divine nature. They wrote with great boldness and great confidence. They had seen Jesus, not as a carpenter's son or even a miracle worker, and that he was. They had seen those miracles already, but now they saw him and heard a voice from heaven. Wow. But now it's time to come down from the mountain. It's a hard thing to do. Morgan said, There the mountain, now the valley. There glorified saints. Here the lunatic... There the king in his heavenly glory. Here the representatives of baffled and beaten faith. The valley's dark. This valley, the Coachella Valley, many people walk in darkness, even though it is the, one of the brightest places with the least amount of clouds you will ever live. Right? When I first came here 35 years ago, it was routine, four to five inches of rain annually. Now it's that maybe every three years it feels like at least with, a, with an occasional flood or downpouring. Uh, it's a bright place and yet spiritually speaking it's a dark place. goes on to say a large crowd met him and a man from the crowd shouted saying, now just remember they had just come off the mountain overshadowed by God's presence glorified Jesus, and now you have a man from the crowd shouting in pain and agony, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth, and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. Now, was this a visible demonic entity by Nate? No, this was a some spiritual force that I think we could just say, as we'll see in the next verse, uh, these were seizures, uh, epileptic or otherwise. The, this young boy was having seizures. That would be our modern, modern medical term. And it goes on and says, I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And then, this is important, catch this. Jesus answered and said... You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? 
bring him here. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground. Again, a seizure. I mean, we wouldn't have seen a demonic entity here. And threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And, of course, then they were all amazed with the greatness of God. And while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink deep into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And I'm going to add this and climb another mountain. That mountain would be Golgotha. They didn't understand this statement. And it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the statement. So first of all, I know that there is an overlay of kind of 21st century intellectual, uh, you know, chronological snobbery, I believe is what C.S. Lewis says. If you think back about 2,000 years ago, this, this kid was just having seizures, and there must have been a physiological reason for which he was having seizures. And uh, so they called it a demon. We would just have a physical re reaction. Well, it was interesting because I was kind of struggling with that. And I've told you, one of the places I struggle the most is the overlay between spiritual influence that leads to then psychological issues and physical then responses to that and the overlay of Scripture in the supernatural realm. And you can make an error on both sides. You can say it's, it has nothing to do with the supernatural and you can also make, uh, make a case on the other side where it has everything to do with the supernatural. And I, there is an overlay here, and I don't know what that is. And it's one of the hardest things to do in counseling another, and Dr. Burst could say the same thing. I'm sure she struggles with is, what, you know, where is, the, where is this supernatural thing going on here? And the, this could be just a, have a physiological root. And because of that, I tend to kind of gloss over some of these stories. These were seizures, and was it just a seizure with a physical cause? I don't know, but it was interesting this week that I met with a couple from our church, and they told me this story that she had become very um, allergic to iodine, and she had met with a doctor, and the doctor said, if you ever take any iodine, if you ever ingest any more iodine, you will die. And he was very dire in his warnings and just it began to cripple her with fear. Well, what happened is she began to have seizures. And these seizures led to an ambulance being called, I don't know, close to 10 times. She would go down in a seizure. She almost a blackout kind of situation. They'd call 911. She'd be rushed to the hospital and just kept occurring, kept occurring. And they couldn't find the reason behind the seizures. And so here in comes the experts. And most of us here would say, who are the experts? If you just cannot get a diagnosis, where do you always want to go? You want to go to Mayo, right? Everybody goes to Mayo, right? If you have an opportunity, go to Mayo. And you get the diagnostics. You can go to Scottsdale. You can go up to Minneapolis. I think it's Minneapolis, right? And... Rochester, like I said, Rochester, and thank you for that, and I've never been there, but uh, go to Mayo, and they're the great, and so they did. They went to Mayo, and they went through this whole thing, and, and you know what they came, came up with is that it was uh, psychological. It was based in fear, and she was uh, experiencing PTSD symptoms, and they were leading to these seizures, and she was, in a sense, being thrown to the ground with these seizures, and it was really based in fear, going all the way back to that doctor saying, if you ever take iodine, you're, you're going to die. And she was living. Now, I would call that, there's the overlay, a spirit of fear. Paul told Timothy, we do not have a spirit of fear, but of love and power and sound mind. 
fear is demonically inspired. It doesn't necessitate someone having a demon possession to be impacted in the spiritual realm by things like fear. And this oppression that she was undergoing that led to these seizures was diagnosed by one of the, you know, Mayo Clinic, not some shyster in the back of some, you know, uh, shaman-looking guy that's saying, oh, this is it's just psychological. They, they said it was a psychological issue. I, I, the reason I bring that up is that we cannot look back at some of these cases and go, well, they believe that because they didn't have the medical technology that we have today. Even with the medical technology, we know that some things are both psychological leading to physiological outcomes, clearly. And maybe that's what this was. But I just bring that up as an addendum uh, to the story. So one of the things I want to do, there's a couple things I, I want to try to impress on you. I want you to hear the gospel this morning in a way, in a unique way, that maybe you've never really heard it in its fullness. And it's, it, it involves the transfiguration, but we have to go back. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about Moses being a prefiguring of Jesus. So Moses was ascending and descending the mountain, right? We got that. Moses ascending, descending the mountain. Exodus 34 said that when he would come down, that his face would shine because of his, both his encounter with God and, and, the, and the covenant that he possessed in terms of not only the Ten Commandments, but probably fully the 613 commandments that would eventually come to Israel. And his face would shine. They would have to put a veil over his face. Sounds a little like Jesus ascending and shining, right? So we, we get some real similar parallels here. But now we're going to the story of the golden calf. And you know the story at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And Charlton Heston's coming down. Moses is coming down from the mountain and he's got the Ten Commandments, letters engraved on stone. What's happened in the meantime? They had to wait a long time, and they weren't ready for it. Aaron gave in. They're in the valley. They're not on the mountain. They're in the valley. And here's what happened. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said... Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And Aaron said, Tear off the gold rings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. And then all the people tore off the gold rings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron, the high priest, the priestly class, the son of uh, the, from the tribe of Levi. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, he wasn't, I don't believe personally that Aaron was trying to recreate another God. He was just allowing them to create an image of the God that he believed brought them out, the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't think he was trying to recreate a fake God, but he was creating an image of God. Okay, are you with me? And, and now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play pickleball and golf. And I, I, I played a little golf yesterday. I had a hard time on my toe. It wasn't very impressive, but played play a little bit. And uh, so I'm not criticizing that. But then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And now it gets weird. Now think about, just, just think about the situation. Moses is shining as he's coming down the mountain. 
He's got these uh, Ten Commandments engraved on stone. He's coming down to, okay, now we have the, a real direction from the, our Creator God who brought us up, showed us all these miracles. Just like Jesus, right? All the miracles were demonstrated, and now Jesus ascends the mountain, and then He comes back down. So Moses is coming back down, coming down, and he sees, and there's the golden calf. What's on the stone? Well, one of the first three uh, suggests something very uh, interesting. Don't make any image of God, and what had they done? They had created an image of God. I don't have the time. That's a whole other story on why we shouldn't do that and why that's uh, the wrong thing to do because we make it in, well, it's a calf here in this case. So what happened as a result of this? Well, he saw the calf and the dancing, verse 19, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain, and he took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. Wow, that's pretty extreme, Moses. Come on. I mean, you know, that you were up there a long time. These people are not very educated. They, you know, they're in the valley. They didn't understand what was going on. They, Aaron agreed. He was complicit with this thing. Why, why the anger? And then having to drink it. Some of you in here today are drinking in some ways of your own idolatry. You drink it daily. You drink it ground in powder. We all have tendencies in to, to replace God with other things that seem more important at the time, don't we? It's bitter, always bitter. But it gets worse. I wish I could say it didn't get worse. In fact, I think of this horrific story of the Turpin couple. Have you heard about this couple? I wish you hadn't because it breaks my heart. It shatters my heart. This couple uh, had evidently, I don't forget the number of children, nine, ten children. How many? Thirteen. Uh, like I said, thirteen. Rochester, thirteen. They lived in Rochester. But uh, they had thirteen children and they had put them in animal cages. They had chained them to the bed. They were all malnutrition, uh, malnourished. Uh, it was an awful, I cannot even imagine. But even worse, I saw the article, and there's, I guess, a big uh, expose coming out. And they, I guess they, I don't know who it was that did the interview, but the children now have kind of been able to recover a little bit. I don't know if they'll ever be able to fully recover, but recover a little bit. And they talk about, and they would teach from the Bible. Daily. Kind of twisted, demonic, absurd. Ah, oh, boy, does that get me fired up. I just, I have to refrain from mocking and the derision that I feel towards this couple. But you read a story like this and you're like, well, you know, the Bible does have some pretty harsh stuff and we're about to see it. Verse 25 says, and when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him, and he said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, thus says God, are you ready? Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did so. Moses did what Moses instructed and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Are you following me? Then Moses, it's okay. 
Then Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. Really, that's in the Bible? How can I get up here with boldness of speech and recount a story like that? I mean, come on. Don't they deserve a little bit of grace? I mean, they hadn't even seen the, they hadn't even gotten the commandment yet. Don't make an image. He's on his way down with the commandment, and they've done it, and then 3,000 people die. Moses goes up as a prefiguring of Jesus when he returns. All, all the shining happens, all the glorification happens. He comes down with these letters engraved on stone, and 3,000 people are slaughtered. And that's the Bible you preach. That's the grace and mercy and glory of the Bible you preach. Really, Jeff? Wow. Exciting. I don't want anything to do with your religion. You're just in the spirit of the Turpins, really. Well, let's press forward. Now let's come to the New, New Testament. You ready? New Covenant. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. See, if you don't understand this backstory of Moses and the golden calf and, the, and this ascension up on the mountain and the overshadowing, remember the three that he had with him were also overshadowed, and yet they couldn't come all the way up. Only Moses could come a portion all the way up and encounter God. Somehow in the presence of Jesus, these three were actually go, able to go all the way, and they themselves were overshadowed. With that as a backdrop, Paul now is going to explain something that will, I hope, well, we'll start wiggling again. We'll need to play that song again. Rejoice and praise God. And because why? Because our God had always had this as the plan. Such confidence we have, verse 4, through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. In other words, this is not about us. This is Christ's glory in us. Therefore, I can speak boldly, he says, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. This is... Well, this is a different mountain Jesus is now going to ascend from. The new covenant was going to be, what does the Bible say? Inaugurated in his blood. This was going to be a slaughtered, brutalized, beaten, and tortured Jesus descending a different mountain, and that mountain was called Golgotha. We're servants of a new covenant, he says, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter, what does he mean? The letter kills that's the tablet. That's the Ten Commandments. He said, but the Spirit gives life. If the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about Moses descending the mountain, letters engraved on stone. And he said, when that came down, it was still filled with glory. So he says, if that came with glory so that the sons of Israel couldn't look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to even be more, have more glory? For if the ministry of condemnation, so he's called it a ministry of death, a ministry of condemnation, etc., has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Now he's, so he's juxtaposed. You want real righteousness? This is going to be the Spirit side. This is just, a, this is a death, this is a ministry of death, a ministry of condemnation. These letters wiped 3,000 people out some descent into the valley. Is that what our call is? Evidently, the Turpins feel that our call is to descend the mountain and, and well, with letters written on stone. I don't know the full backdrop. I don't even know how you even remotely, remotely get to a place that you would cage your children unless you were 
significantly demonically possessed. I mean, that is just beyond my wildest comprehension. Breaks my heart. He goes on in verse 9, If the ministry of condemnation has glory, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For that, if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. So he said, look, all that's saying, and it's a little bit labored language, it's the scripture, but in terms of the way this is parsed in the Greek, you just got to understand what he's saying is that this, this kind of descent and this kind of glory that Jesus came down, the ministry of the Spirit, way surpasses the limited glory that was manifest in the Ten Commandments and maybe all the commandments, but generally. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Can I just tell you, I'm very bold in this, unapologetically bold. Jesus is the only way in your life. Let me say that again. I don't care how old you are, whether you're five years old or whether you're 95 years old. Jesus is the only hope, and I can use great boldness in that speech. And we're not like Moses, who used to put a veil on his face so that the sons of Israel will not look at the end of what was fading away. Their minds were hardened. Until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it's removed in Christ. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. And whenever a person turns to the Lord, this is all that's required of us, the veil is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is not swords drawn on people's off people's thigh and hacking people to death it sounds like a gory horror flick to me uh uh-uh. the different different covenant there's liberty here but we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror get this the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What does that mean? As we observe Jesus on the mountaintop, in the valley, wherever it is, daily prayer, in worship, wherever it is, as we observe him through the word, as I eat this and I observe Jesus, and Jesus is the word become flesh, as I eat this day after day after day, not a little homily every once in a while, not a little 10 minutes here and there, not a little devotional every once in a while. When I eat this, when I... When I live my life before Jesus, I'm being transformed into his same glory. It's his glory in me. I empty, he fills me. And I've seen people, I don't know that I can say I've literally seen them shine, but I, from my perspective, they shine. When I see people in the presence of Jesus, I, it just looks like they're shining to me. Laura and I have a couple that I don't know if they're here today, but they're over at the Vintage Club in their 90s now, married for 72 or three years now. It's amazing. And when I see their faces, they appear to shine to me. It's just amazing you walk with Jesus that long. They're being transformed into his image. Now, so if Moses is descending uh, with the tablets and 3,000 people die. You've heard me teach on this a little bit, but let's get it in the context of the transfiguration in Golgotha. And then we'll start to wind this down. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Fast forward to the very first sermon after all this group had been overshadowed, if you will, to use that language, with the Holy Spirit. They'd been filled with the Spirit. People thought they were drunk. 
How can you get so, that so excited about it? If they can get that excited about the Packers, can we not get that excited about the creator of our very being and the recreator of our soul having been separated from him? Can we not get that excited? I can. I refuse to be by a culture that wants to marginalize me. I refuse to not lift my hands up and say, I love Jesus. I love, thank you, Jesus. Live a life. Call me what you want. I was overhearing a conversation the other day. I was trying to listen to it. I couldn't quite pick it up. It was deriding these Jesus freaks. And we were at a, we were at a pretty social, you know, kind of uppity kind of deal. And I heard, it, I heard some people, and they, they, these Jesus freaks, and they were doing this. Maybe they were Jesus freaks, but I guess I'm a Jesus freak too. And I guess I'm bold about it, and I'm unapologetic about it. Of course I'm going to get excited about it. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. I'm being transformed into His glory, not slaughtered with a sword drawn from a man's thigh. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is Peter's sermon. Not letters engraved on stones. No, 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 no. He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. This is the ministry of the Spirit where there is what? Liberty not death. Now, when, he, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what are we going to do? What do we do? And Peter said, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children who are all far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And with many words, he was solemnly testified and kept exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. See, was Jesus angry when he came down the mountain and saw the unbelief? It was like Moses. But in this case, he didn't shatter the commandments and have 3,000 people slaughtered. This is the difference in Jesus' descent from the mountain and Moses' descent. This is where, the, 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 where it parts dramatically. Okay, What happened here? Those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about... 3,000 souls. Interesting number. 3,000 died when the descent from the mountain came. Sword drawn. That's what the law does. It condemns you. You teach from the law, you better be able to use it righteously. Paul says the law is great if one uses it righteously, recognizing that the law is not made for a righteous man. How are we made righteous? By doing everything perfectly? No, by believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and being clothed in his righteousness. There's the grace, the mercy, and the truth, not the edge of a sword. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we're doing here today. We're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Stay in that hall. Go, get out to the hall and hang around for a little bit and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. 3,000 people came alive. Which do you prefer, Jesus' descent from Golgotha, dead? Sorry to use the crass language, but probably, you know, body bag with his own blood crying out for mercy. The blood cries out for mercy, not for judgment. Or would you be to prefer to maybe, well, I'm going to live by my own rules. I'll create a moral code and I'll live by it. Are you going to live by that? Is that what you're going to be? Are you going to be at the foot of Sinai or are you going to be at the foot of Golgotha? 
I'm asking you the question this morning. Who do you say that Jesus was and is? I can only imagine that some of you feel tired of the world. I do. And all the hostility towards my faith, people who fear me, people who reject me, I feel it. I do. As a minister of the gospel, unapologetically and with boldness. Are you tempted are you tempted to return to Egypt? I am sometimes. i got to be honest with you. Why do I have to do this? I, I could just kind of melt into the background here. And have, has it been a long time since you've had any kind of mountaintop experience? And to descend would require you to ascend in the first place. And do you realize that there is power in the valley? And it's, well, it's disbelieving. It's, it's perverse. The valley's tough. But Jesus is calling us off the mountain. You do understand that. Jesus is calling us off the mountain. Why? Because there are people, I believe, that are just this close from coming into the kingdom. This close. And sometimes you've heard the phrase, it's darkest right before the dawn. I'm, this is, I'm holding out for this in our culture. It's getting dark. I mean, it really is. I mean, I, you study history. There are dark places all the time in human history. It's always it's always. But really, in our own 300-year experiment plus or whatever it's been, I've got to tell you that the American experiment is pretty dark right now. Yeah, there was World War II, which was you know, we were brought into, as many of you know, and then Vietnam. We've had all kinds, of, but somehow something's changed. It's, it feels more dire. The valley seems more dark to me. Maybe it's just my lifetime and my perspective but I feel more oppression. It makes me want to stay up on the mountaintop and not go down into the valley. It really does. Or just hang out with my Christian friends. But I believe that there are people out there that are this close. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, entitled this, The Devil's Last Throw, in light of, remember that demon throwing that young boy to the ground? Right before he was released by Jesus. Remember the story. We just read it. Spurgeon said this, talking about how the adversary often strikes the hardest right before, right before the dawn. He says, I have seen men just when they were beginning to hear and beginning to think, taken suddenly with such violence of sin and so fearfully carried away by it that if I had not seen the same thing before, I should have despaired of them. Satan will throw a culture, a person, a people, a family into such chaos, but sometimes that is his last throw. And then they're released. But who's going to give them the message? Mountain dwellers or mountain descenders? We got to come off the mountain, folks. We cannot live up there forever. I love being around you. I love just... Uh, for the rest of my time, only my only my only exposure is going to be to other followers of Jesus, and we're just going to have worship and this and that, and you know, no, we're called back to the valley. They're listening to all kinds of lies in the valley. God's never chosen you. You're past the point of no return. You have no chance. We have a message that says, not a message of a sword off a thigh, but a message of absolute release. Repent, believe upon the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved from what from this perverse generation just give up 
Satan in their ear, just give up. It's not going to work for you. Religion, blah, blah, blah. Just, religion won't, but Jesus will. And lastly, notice they were all amazed when Jesus, the last throw, boom, and the boy went down. And then he came up, and they were amazed, and they marveled. We marvel. We call it Marvel Comics. We marvel at the superheroes. There's one superhero that so far surpasses any superhero, any IMF agent, any other thing that we can construe in our minds that laid down his life for the very people that feared him and hated him the most, us. Is that, is that somebody you want to follow? I promise you it is. Don't take the lie of Satan. So in summary of this last, this being the third week about the tabernacle, let me just finish. God does want you to experience his glory. You need a mountaintop experience. Get away. Pray. Worship. Just get away. Take time out of your busy life and get away. God will meet with you. He wants us to grow in faith. Why? He, because we have these encounters are impactful. I'm not looking for encounters like I have to have some big exotic encounter. I just want that daily bread. I, I need Jesus. I need it. I need to be transformed into his image. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to come down from the mountain. You can't be fruitful. Come down from the mountain. Go up, fill with his glory, come down to, and release and preach and be part of a community that cares about the valley. Don't ask me to have a bunch of long office hours and just deal with Christians. I, I cannot. I'm just, I love it. I love my brothers and sisters. I, am, I have pastor, but I want to be in the valley. I do. I have a call to the valley. I want to be with people who don't know Jesus. I want them to have the same experience many of you and I have had. I hope all of you. And then lastly, God loves us too much to just leave us up there. He has a purpose. Why? Because we are transformed into his image through the valley. I got to be honest with you. The most growth I ever experience is when I am out battling in the valley with unseen forces for people's souls. People think you're crazy. I don't think so. I think it's the most sane thing you can possibly do. So as we close here today, uh, maybe you haven't had any mountaintop experience. Just ask the Lord, I want a mountaintop experience. Lord, I want you to meet with me. I want you to show me your glory. I want to I see you transfigured before me. I'm going to have to be literally. I just want to see you for who you really are. Maybe for the first time in my life, I just want to know you. And then for those of you who are, you're being called off the mountain. We as a church are being called off the mountain. We're called into this valley and other places. And I'm just asking you to, to go up. And to come down and go up and come down. When you come down, don't come down with letters engraved on stones. Some kind of moral thing? Like that's all we are? Really? No, we have a message of grace and peace and mercy and truth. And his name is Jesus. So this last song, and then I'm going to sneak out and I'll meet you as you're leaving. But this last song really uh, for me is a, a beautiful picture of kind of a, even the, even the views kind of see you, it's kind of, it starts on the mountaintop and kind of a mist and then by the end you're kind of back down on the, Lord's calling you to come off the mountain. He's calling you to the mountain, he's come, calling you to come off. So I'll be praying for you this week and again, uh, pray for me as I enter this uh, Iron Man. Uh, this, no, no, I'm just kidding, I'm not going to, you got to have iron in you.